Hey, good morning again. Great to have you here today. I also want to welcome those of you online. Today is just a not within a series. We're taking a break between two series and just want to give you one message today that I'm hopeful is encouraging and inspiring as well. Hey, have you ever uh, paused and reflected on a few decisions you made and thought, what was I thinking? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, like maybe uh, when you ordered the must-have thing from late night TV when you couldn't sleep because in the moment it seemed like a great idea until it arrived and then you realized you got suckered, right? Or when you uh, bought the box dye and thought your hair would be a deep soft brown for the wedding but instead it turned out a horrible shade of pinkish red. Or like when you woke up the next morning after a party and you realize you drank way too much and your head is pounding and you can't even remember some of the details of what happened a few hours ago. Fortunately, most of those decisions, those kind of decisions, aren't that huge of a deal. I mean, they can be absorbed or corrected with a little effort and time. But there are some decisions you can't correct with a professional hairdresser, two aspirin, or a return label like running up credit cards when you can't pay them, and because you don't pay them on time, you ruin your credit, and that takes years to try to repair, or co-signing a loan for someone who can't keep a job, or walking an aisle and saying, I do, to someone who doesn't, or getting your girlfriend pregnant way before you are ready to be a father, or having an abortion, which no matter how hard you pray, you can't undo, or picking up a bottle or a needle and getting high just one more time, or sending those nude pics to someone who thinks sharing them with everybody else is funny and you can't get them back, or living with someone who promises to do better when they have no idea how to be better, and as a result, your life is ruined. You know, throughout many years of pastoring, I've had the awesome responsibility of listening to regrets, listening to pain, like I just described. Some of the most horrendous stories of abuse, affairs, anger, racism, alcoholism, drug addiction. I've sat in my office with many couples. I've sat in my office with many single men, divorced people, listening to all the different things that they've walked through over the last few years of their lives. I've listened to confessions, Regrets, worries, doubts, fears, on and on. I've had people tell me things that they never told their spouses. I've heard people describe hatred toward people that if the people knew how much they were hated, they'd be crushed. I've listened to people explain addiction so vividly I could almost feel the drug described coming alive and pulling me into its icy vice. I've watched women's faces flush with fear because they knew if something didn't change, he would do it again. And they didn't know if they had any more mercy to give. I've listened to men describe their utter lostness trying to make their wives happy, and they don't know what to do anymore. And here's what I know. Here's what I've learned. Unless something changes, unless something radical occurs, unless something extraordinary arises, the consequences of those decisions will befall them. Their patterns will repeat. I learned from Dr. Henry Cloud years ago that the most accurate predictor of the future is the past. 
listen to me very carefully, the most accurate predictor of the future is the past. In other words, unless something happens changing the system, what happened yesterday will happen again tomorrow. I'm not sure how, but when I was a kid, I intuitively knew this. I couldn't articulate it. If you would have asked me when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, you know, Scotty, do you know, you know, and lay out the principle in front of me, I would have been confused. I would have had no idea what you were talking about. I could have never described the principle, but I knew way down deep inside that unless something significant happened in my young life, I would end up far from where I wanted to be. You know why? Because my family is not known for being successful. Good people. Kind people. I love them with all my heart, but speckled throughout my family are affairs, lack of education, unplanned pregnancies, financial difficulties, alcoholism, lack of resources, early deaths. And from my perspective, I was going to turn out much the same. My biological father was arrested and sent to prison when I was just a baby. My grandfather died in his early 50s. My uncle was an alcoholic. My adoptive father turned out to be a pathological liar. Most of them were poor and left nothing to their children. And I was fearful the same would be my lot in life. And even if I broke free from their influence, even if I were able to snap away from their patterns, I had my own issues that would eventually break me apart and erode my hopes and dreams. I was an anxious child. I couldn't go spend the night with my friends. I had to call my mom early in the morning to come pick me up. I, I, I didn't know how to go to sleep in other people's homes. I didn't know how to calm myself. I, I was shy. I was insecure. I hated to read. In fact, I never read my first book all the way through until I was a freshman in college, if you can believe that. I was sexually ignorant, sexually abused. I had no idea what it meant to be a man or a father. I didn't have what it took to make it through college. I was scared I would end up broke, lost, and lonely when I was an adult. And you know what I know? I know there are a few of you sitting in this room right now, and there are a few of you watching online, you can identify with exactly what I'm talking about. You change a few of the details, and you got some of the same fears. You fear you will eventually become like your father or like your mother. Or you fear you will return to your former self and you will start drinking again or fighting again or become angry again and start using again. I mean, you're in a kind of a, a good space right now, and you've got some friends around you, and you've, you've got some support around you, and things are going okay, but there's down deep inside. I and mean, peel back those layers, kind of wipe, look behind the smile, and down deep inside, you are afraid you are going to fall back into the patterns of your past. Or you fear the sins of your past will track you down and drown you. Because you know you've done a lot of ugly things in your past. You've burned a lot of bridges. You've hurt a lot of people. 
You got a lot of stuff that if people knew the details, they might reject you. In fact, if your wife knew the details, if your husband knew the details, if your community group knew the details, if people in this room right now knew all the things that you've done and thought and said and the things of your past, if they ever get caught up, if they ever catch up to you, if the wave of your past that you've been trying to outrun ever washes over you, you're afraid you're going to drown. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. This is just my heart to you this morning, just as much as I can to be as transparent and as honest and as clear and as forthright. Listen to me. Unless something happens, unless a radical change occurs, data proves, and my own experience backs it, you will turn out like your family. It's nearly impossible to escape their influence unless something happens. You will return to your old ways. It is just a matter of time. Your sins will find you out. What you sow, you will reap. But right here, in this rub, in this friction, in this sticky mess is where the gospel steps in and rescues us. Several months ago, I was reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just casually reading through. Every now and then, I'll start at the beginning of one, and I'll just slowly work my way through the end, and I'll read maybe a few chapters in a day, then I'll skip a few days, and I'll read a couple more chapters or whatever, you know, and I'll bounce around at times, and I was just reading my way through the Gospels, just slowly. And I had read through this particular occurrence in the life of Jesus that I'm getting ready to give you. I, I, I probably read it a hundred times. I mean, literally, 100 times. I've not only read it, but I've also heard it explained, and it's been taught to me again and again and again. I can tell you the story without referencing the passage, okay? Not only have I read it a hundred times, not only have I had the passage taught to me again and again, I've read the same passage in ten different translations I know it well. But I was reading it again a few months ago, and something happened. Something illuminated. Like a light came on in the background, and I could see a truth I had not noticed before. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I don't know if you've ever been sitting down and reading Scripture or reading through a devotional or something and a, and a passage of Scripture that you have read many times, you've heard it taught before, but something, a word, a phrase, some turn of a phrase, something grabs you. That's what happened to me. I can still see where I was sitting. I can still see the moment. I can feel it almost as if it happened yesterday. A light came on. Maybe a better way of saying it is I saw an application of the truth that I had never seen before. Let me set the story up, and then I'm going to give it to you, okay? It's found in Mark 11. Now, just listen carefully. It's a well-known story. It doesn't have a lot of drama. Excuse me, it's not a well-known story, the one I'm going to give you. It doesn't have a lot of drama. Nobody gets healed in this story, okay? No fish are multiplied. Nobody walks on water. Nobody rises from the dead. It's kind of one of these stories that you, you just kind of read and you just kind of maybe yawn as you read it because you really want to get to the next part because the part before it's really cool. The part after it's really cool. But this particular part is kind of just there. 
And I think maybe that's how it jumped out at me because I really wasn't reading into it. I wasn't already taking everything I know about this story and kind of going ahead and laying it on top as I was reading it. I just kind of got to this part and my mind just kind of relaxed. My heart just kind of relaxed because I knew there wasn't a whole lot in this part. And that's when the light came on. It just kind of disappears, this little story, between two more dramatic happenings. In fact, it's one week. This story occurs one week before Jesus is arrested, tried, and crucified. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and the crowd lays down palm branches, and they cry, Hosanna! Most of you know that story. We celebrate that every year with Palm Sunday. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. They laid the palm branches down, and Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, and everyone is crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's a celebratory time. It's a beautiful time, and everyone is excited that Jesus has arrived into Jerusalem. That's what happens just before the story. Then right after the story is when Jesus walks into the temple and turns the tables over. Many of you are familiar with that story. He walks into the temple, he flips the tables over, and he runs the money changers out. And a lot of the people are familiar with that story, and a lot of people love that story because it is just so out of character for Jesus. And you're like, why did he flip the tables over? And was Jesus mad? And do you think he used a whip when he ran the people out? And why do you think he got so upset? And there's a lot of teaching about it and a lot of explanation about it. So you've got Palm Sunday, and you've got Jesus flipping over tables in the temple. Two dramatic, exciting stories filled with teaching, filled with insight, filled with truth. And then there's just one little happening that sits in between those two stories. It's just resting in between these well-known stories. And it's a story that jumped out at me a few months ago. And there's one small phrase that God used to encourage me and I hope it encourages you Mark 11 beginning at verse 12 the next day after the whole palm branch thing the next day after leaving Bethany Jesus was hungry from far away he noticed a fig tree in leaf so he went to see if he could find anything on it When he came to it, he found nothing except leaves, since it wasn't the season for figs. So he said to it, no one will ever eat again your fruit. His disciples heard this. That's it. Aren't you encouraged? See, that's why I'd never seen it before. Because it's right there but it's so subtle. It's there, but it's just so lightly said it took God's spirit to backlight it for me. Here it is. Jesus stood in front of a fig tree, not yet ready to bloom, but on its way. Getting ready to produce the fruit of what was inside, ready to produce after its own kind, and it would have. It would have borne figs. The tree was simply doing what the tree is on the earth to do. In just a few weeks or a couple of months, it would have sprouted, blossomed, and produced plump, ripe fruit for anyone wanting it. Now, do you see it? 
It's, it's right there. Let me explain it further. The fruit of the tree was inside getting prepared to bloom. But something occurred. Something happened. Something stopped the production of the fruit. Jesus. I'm telling you, when I was sitting in my recliner reading this passage, and all of a sudden, I saw it from where I had, from a perspective, I had never seen it before. I just closed the Bible. I sat back and I said, wait, 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 wait. Let me open this up. He stood in front of the tree and cursed its production. He stopped the fruit. He halted the harvest. I'm telling you what, I'm going to go, I'm going to cease teaching and I'm going to start preaching in a minute. Let me get to the point, okay? You see, there are some of us sitting in this room right now. There are some of us watching online. Because of our past failures, if left to ourselves, we're going to produce the fruit of addiction. Some of us, because of the example and the DNA of our fathers, if left alone, we are going to bear the fruit of his anger. Some of us, because of our nature and our personality and ever so slightly bent character, if something doesn't happen, we are going to birth the fruit of hatred and depression and anxiety and suicide and jealousy. It is who we were born to become. It is in our family's DNA. A stinginess sprout is there, and you know it. You feel it. There is a victim vine growing inside of you. There is the leaf of lust that shoots out. You see, our fathers were that way. Our mothers taught us to sin. Our uncles opened the door. Our brothers showed us the way. Our friends went first. And our desires left unchecked are growing every single day. And there is a harvest of pain. And there is a harvest of misery. And there is a harvest of loneliness. And it is waiting to be picked. And if you are left to yourself, you will sprout and you will blossom and people for generations to come will pick the rotten fruit of your life. And you look at your past, and you think, who am I kidding? It's coming. You sit in this church service week after week, but you think back to how your father acted and how your mother acted. You look back across your family tree, and it's got a lot of rotten fruit. And you wonder sometimes, is it going to be this week 
is it going to be this week that I fall off the wagon? Is it going to be next Friday night when I'm invited to the party that I'm going to say yes and I'm going to go and I'm going to start right back down that road again? Is it going to be this week I'm going to sit down at my computer and I'm going to fall right back in to emailing, texting, and going places that destroys my mind and my marriage? Am I going to walk into the store and pick up some things I probably shouldn't pick up and find myself falling right back into the vortex of the mess that I thought I climbed out of? Am I going to have to go back to the therapist again and get more drugs so I don't fall into deep depression and maybe take my life like my mom did, or my uncle, or my aunt? There's no way to escape it, you feel. You think, you know, I planted the seeds, I fertilized the fields, I can't get around it. You see, we watched our parents fall into the trap. We've witnessed our friends' marriages fall and fail. We've stood on the sidelines and wept for others, and deep down, we are fearful we might become the same. We feel the pull of our parents. We sense the tugs of temptation. We taste the fruit of our failures. And we don't want our kids to pick the harvest of our hell. And Jesus steps in front of you. He steps in front of your past. He steps in front of your present. He steps in front of your future. And he says, no one ever again will eat your fruit. That's good. Because there is some fruit I don't want my kids to eat for my life. There is some fruit I don't want anybody to eat for my life. I've planted some ugly seeds. I've planted some prideful seeds. I've planted some vain seeds. I've planted some angry seeds. And I don't want that fruit to grow in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Jesus steps in front of a tree and splits that family tree. He curses the seed. Look at this. Watch, watch how all this is connected. And immediately after this, I mean, right after this little occurrence that we just read over and kind of yawn as we read it because we don't really think there's a whole lot there, Mark 11 records that Jesus then goes into the temple and watch what happens. After entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a hideout for crooks, a den of thieves. No more. He curses the seed of religion that had been planted. He throws out the rotten fruit of the money changers. He gets rid of the greed and the manipulation of wealthy people using poor people to get wealthier. He purges his house of perverted religion and poisonous false teaching. Jesus curses the seed of bad religion and stops its production. 
And I've been praying since that day that I was sitting in my living room reading that passage. God, stand in front of me. And any fruit you see in my life that's ugly, curse it. Any fruit you see blossoming in my life right now that's ugly and rotten, stop it. Don't let it flow through me. Don't let it grow in me and out of me that other people will come up to me and grab it and eat from it thinking it's good when in the middle of it it's rotten. And listen, okay, this is a, this is a series in and of itself. L- listen, God's stepping in, okay? God's stepping in to stop the reproduction of bad seed began a long time ago. As I begin to see this connection, I'm just sitting here going, wow. Okay, just, just, just follow me, okay? Just, just give me a few minutes, all right? Listen to this. In the very beginning, Genesis 3, immediately following Adam and Eve's choice to do what they wanted to do rather than what God asked, directly after the serpent led them down the path of disobedience, God steps in and curses the serpent. Listen to what he says, Genesis 3, 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And at the very beginning, we're going to stop this thing before it ever grows. And packed within these three lines right here, more than we can even comprehend. The woman's seed would eventually lead to Jesus himself, and the serpent's seed, Satan's seed, would eventually lead to every sin, perversion, and unimaginable pain and misery. And from this moment on, a great tension existed between the seed of Adam and the seed of Satan. And folks, we don't even have time to talk through the constant images of growth and seeds and field and branches and vines and trees all through Scripture. <laughs> Let's look at this and how Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took wine, crushed grapes, the fruit of the vine, and pass it out to his disciples and said, this is me. And eventually he gets up from the table and where does he go? He goes to a garden. And he gives his will up. He is taken and he is murdered on a tree. And how on the first day of the week, the woman came to a garden where the tomb was, and Mary mistook Jesus as the gardener. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? It's all right there, the whole gospel. It's just all through it. And then we're told that if we follow him and we yield ourselves to him, his spirit will produce what in us? What? Fruit. fruit. Man, we don't have time to get into all that. But I, I do, I do want to sh- just wind this whole thing down and land this plane so you can go eat hamburgers, okay? And I want to wind this down by just one passage, just one, one passage, and apply this, and then we're going to pray together, okay? Hebrews 12, 15. 
Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. Don't let the root of bitterness take up place in your heart. Notice the phrase root of bitterness. A root grows and eventually yields fruit in keeping with the root. So what would a root of bitterness produce in us? What kind of fruit? Whatever it produces, I imagine it is venomous and it is malicious. What would a root of bitterness might produce inside of us? Jealousy? Violence? Hatred? Anger? High blood pressure? But here's my question. Here's my question as we wind this down. What root might be growing in you right now? Ever since, ever since that day that I was sitting there reading through that passage and all of a sudden that light came on and I saw Jesus stepping in front of a tree and cursing its production and I said, Jesus, I am so afraid sometimes the roots that are inside of me is going to produce fruit that is going to be so opposite of you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is just, this is me. There have been people who walked up to me at the wrong time and have reached and taken a fruit from me, and it was not very sweet. And that fruit, whether it was lack of patience, rudeness, unkindness, whether it was jealousy or whether it was whatever, that root, that, excuse me, that fruit was produced by a root that I allowed to grow a long time. And my prayer ever since that day is, God, search my heart for the roots and curse the production of the fruit. So my question for you is, what root might be growing right now in your heart? What root might be growing right now in your family, in your mind, in your soul? Make sure, make sure that no one misses God's grace. Make sure you don't miss it. Make sure that that root of bitterness does not keep growing in you. Make it personal. This is what I do when I read scripture. Make sure, Scott, that you don't miss out on God's grace. Make sure, Scott, that no root of, and I leave it blank and I say root of what? What's in me? What's growing in me that it might cause trouble and pollute you? What would you have to fill in the blank? Root of what? Root of fear? Root of insecurity? Root of addiction? Root of anger? Root of lust? Root of depression? Root of a failed marriage? Has it been growing and growing and growing and eventually produced fruit that's rotten? Fruit of discontentment? I don't know. What? Imagine yourself standing on the edge of your life's future, looking out across the fields, representing tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade. And ask yourself questions like these. What seeds did my mom and daddy plant? That if I don't deal with them, they're going to bring a harvest of poisonous fruit. What harvest will eventually grow because the seeds planted either today 
or yesterday in my past that I planted? What seeds did I plant in my teenage years? What seeds did I plant in my young adult years? What seeds did I plant last week, last month, last year? What seeds did I plant during the pandemic when I was stuck at home? Hey, if something doesn't change, the seeds you planted, you will harvest. That scares me, Scott. We better have a prayer that Jesus will step in front of your tree and curse that production. His grace can stop it. What root will spring up and what rotten fruit will grow? Roots and fruits. That's been on my mind for a long time. So here's my prayer, okay? Here's my prayer. This is what I've been praying. This is what I want you to pray. All right. In fact, we're just going to we're closing it down right here. I just if you if you will, if you feel comfortable, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. Nothing like that. I just want right where you are. Just bow your head. Close your eyes. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand as a result of this. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, bring anybody down. If you don't want to, you don't have to. I'm only asking you this to just kind of close yourself in and think. Just kind of think about what I'm saying. And this prayer right here is the prayer I'd like to see you pray. Okay? This is the prayer I'm praying. You can just jump on. This is my prayer, and you can just latch on to it. You can just piggyback, if you will, okay? This is what I'm praying. God, you know the seeds planted in my past. Seeds, if left alone to grow, will produce bitter roots and eventually poisonous fruits. Some seeds I planted, some seeds others planted. And I humbly ask you to stand at the fields of my life. Stand at the trees I've planted and I've fertilized and I watered and by your grace and with love in your eyes curse them I can't curse them I don't have the strength I don't have the power but you can curse them so no fruit from those bitter roots will ever be eaten by anybody again including me not by me, not by my kids, not by my spouse, not by anyone. And instead of the fruits from bitter roots produce in me and through me the fruits of your spirit. In the name above every name, the name of Jesus we pray. That's been in my heart for a long time. And I hope it comes out and rests on yours and sinks deep down inside. Know that no matter what fruit is blossoming in your life, he is strong enough and powerful enough to stop it from ever growing again. You guys have an incredible day. Thanks for being with us.